going, Ron? Hey, Rob. Hey, Mike. I'm doing fine. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, oh, definitely, okay. guys. Um, let me get. Give me a second. Um, and um, today's show. I think this is the eighty. 80 um third show of the rock show. Wow. And today we're talking about a very infamous and famous band. Uh we're talking about Slate. Definitely Slade. Slade. S-L-A-D-E. Slade. <laughs> dude, they had so many. Dude, these people had a lot of fucking hits. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they, they sold super... 50 million albums worldwide. I was like, holy motherfucker. Yeah. These... Dude, yep, they yep. were good. Let me introduce everybody to Ron, Ron Granger, who's our guest tonight. Uh, Ron, I want to thank you for coming on, okay? Sure. And let me give you a little background, everybody. I met Ron about five or six years ago. Um, I, was, I used to go to school with his wife, his lovely wife, Donna. And when me and Donna got kind of like uh, reacquainted after many years, we, we found each other on Facebook. She had pointed out how her husband, Ron was very into music and we probably would like the same stuff well yeah it happened because <laughs> ron you know you you know you're a big glam rock guy and you you know and punk rock and you've been to some amazing shows back in the uk when you were growing up yeah uh, you know i wish i was about 10 years older i would have been there with you man i mean it's like uh you know you you went through the bowie t-rex slade sweet then into the punk scene you got some was, great stories. That's why I wanted to have you on. Yeah, I was just lucky to uh, be living in London and just having access to, you know, so many great shows. And, you know, back in the early 70s, literally, you could go to a show for two, three, four, five dollars. You know, it was yes. that inexpensive. Wow. Yes. And, and, and to this day, you're the only person I've ever met that was actually at the, the Rainbow Theater where the Ramones recorded It's Alive. Yeah, it was a great show. I think I was, I was, wow. I was, in, the, I was in the third row, and, uh, you know, Ramones actually played an all-seater theatre. The Rainbow is a very famous uh, London theatre, holds about 3,000 people. Everyone's right. played there from the Beatles to the Stones mm -hmm. and the Ramones. T-Rex played their last ever London show there. Wow. Yeah, I think it was New Year's Eve, yeah. 77. Yeah. yeah, New Year's Eve, 77 into 78. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Ron, wow. let me ask you a question. Were you big at the... At, uh... Do you love the whole punk scene, or do you like the glam rock better? Uh, you know what? I was. Uh, it was a natural progression. I love glam. T Rex are my favorite band. Roxy Music and David Bowie are my other favorite artists. I was just at the right age, and then, you know, when when glam rock kind of disappeared, and disco took over, and I, you know, didn't really find anything I could like in music anymore. And suddenly, you know. Um, Suddenly, punk came along, and uh, the the day I heard that first Ramon, Ramones album, I can remember it, November the twenty second, nineteen seventy six. Wow. I know it because it was my birthday, <laughs> and, and and I went to I think Virgin Records in in uh, in central London, and I, and I, um, I I heard it. They they let you they let you listen to records there. I heard it. I bought it, and I tell you what, it changed my life. I couldn't believe how good it was. Right, right, right. Well, you know, what you just said was correct. I mean, glam rock, oh, I should say punk rock, was a, a natural progression from glam rock. Okay, and that's something that we've discussed in a lot of shows. Uh, you know, punk bands that we've covered from that time, whether it was the Sex Pistols or the Clash, the British bands, they all looked back at the, at the glam bands yeah. as influences. So today we're going to talk about Slade. 
And Slade. Uh, Slade is just one of these bands that, I mean, they have a huge history. They were as big as the Beatles at one point in, 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 in England, it seems. And yep. they influenced so many on both sides of the Atlantic. Do they influence everybody from Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkin, Remote, Sex Pistols, The Undertone, The Runaway? These guys influence all these and, guys. And of course, Quiet Riot because they and, love to. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> and also a Cheap Trick. I just want to throw that one in there. Oh yeah, Jeff, absolutely. <laughs> cheap Trick is influenced by Slate. And, and and Oasis as well. They Oasis. Oasis. Yep. Mention nope. Oasis. Yep. Hey, Ron, no I got to tell you something. You know, so I saw Oasis at the theater in Madison Square Garden. And, I was there. And I was there live, and the two brothers got into a fight, and one of them finished the whole show by himself. Okay. I, I, I remember being at the theater at Madison Square Gardens in 1996 and seeing Oasis there, but I don't remember getting into a fight. So maybe you saw them later on, but. No, I yeah. saw them in the theater. They had them in the theater. They didn't have yeah. in the main Madison Square. This was no. in the theater, like with 5,000 people. Yes, well, I saw them too in the theater. And they, they got into an argument, and one brother left, and the other brother finished the show. That happened a few times with those guys. Yeah. yeah. All the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So let me give a little back history of Slade because it goes all the way back to 1964. Now, originally, Slade, when they got together a little bit later, just so you, we all know who we're talking about here, it's Naughty Holder, who was on vocals and he did a little little guitar playing as well. Uh, drummer Don Powell, yep. guitarist Dave Hill, and then you had Jim Lee on bass. Okay, now drummer Don Powell and guitarist Dave Hill were part of a Midland group called the Vendors, and they toured on the UK pub circuit. Okay, and they already at that. Point, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ron, you said something. No, it wasn't me. Oh, okay, my mistake. So th this band, The Vendors, toured on the UK pub circuit. And they, at that point in 64, they had a four-track privately pressed EP out already. Now, at the same time, Naughty Holder was in a band. He was singing and playing guitar in a band called Steve Brett and the Mavericks. Yes. They had three singles out on Columbia in 1965. Now, the vendors around 1965 would become more, they would, they would go in a different musical direction than where they started. They would become more of a blues-based band. And it was because they kind of discovered Howlin' Wolf and Sonny Boy Williamson. And they would change their name from the vendors to the in-betweens. And they started supporting acts like the Yardbirds and the Hollies. They were into that whole British blues thing. Now, in 65... Naughty Holder's band, Steve Barrett and the Mavericks, and the in-betweens happened to end up on a ferry together when they were both doing separate gigs in Germany. Now, Don Powell and Dave Hill, they knew Naughty from back home, the Wolverhampton area, and they asked Naughty if he would want to join the in-betweens. But Naughty turned him down, okay, at that point. Uh, later on, they would meet again in their hometown of Wolverhampton and a short while later. But Naughty would be asked again, and this time he would agree. Now, at that point, bass player Jim Lee had already been recruited by Powell and Hill. So by 66, this new version of the in-betweens got together to record a single of an old, of, um, an old Otis Redding song called Security. And they also had an original called Evil Witch Man. And it was released on Highland Records. 
Now, another single, this time on Columbia Records, was called You Better Run. That was another cover, okay? You might know that song, Rob, like You Better Run. I don't oh, yeah, I, I definitely know that one. <laughs> Bunch of bands had a hit with that one. Yeah. Bennett's Art America had a big hit in that. Now, um, their version of it is actually produced by Kim Fowley. Wow. From from L.A. Yeah, he was yeah. involved with... He was involved with so many bands. We got to do a show on him. I keep saying that, you know? Yeah. Um, now, the Slade spent most of 66, 67, and 68. I shouldn't say Slade. They weren't Slade yet. They were the in-betweens. Okay. They were, they were touring most of the UK. Okay. Now, Naughty Holder had a flair for being a front man. He, this guy was a good front man. And people showed up to the shows just to see – the outrageous things that he would do. He was good at getting the, the audience riled up, you know, clap your hands, stamp your feet kind of stuff. Okay. And in 69, there was a local promoter named Roger Allen. And he happened to spot the band and he mentioned it to Jack Baverstock, who was the head of uh, A&R at Phillips Records. Yep. Now, Baverstock brought the band into the Phillips studio and offered them a contract to Fontana Records. Once again, Fontana comes into play, right, Rob? Yep, Fontana now, comes to play all the time. Yep, yep, yep. Now, but only if they would change their name and get a London-based management company. So this is how they, they changed their name. The in-betweens, they didn't like that name. They were going to change it. They changed it to Ambrose Slade. Now, it was kind of, the name is interesting. It was kind of an in-joke between the band and Baverstock's secretary, Okay, because the secretary named her handbag Ambrose and her shoes were called Slade. I don't know any more than that. Okay, it's some kind of in joke, but that's how it got they got named Ambrose Slade. Now, they also got a London based manager at that point named John Gunnell, who would be with them for a little while. Now, Ron, let me ask you do you recall the Ambrose Slade title, or, or was it like a little too early for you? Yeah, that was too early for me. Yeah, because they, they would release one album like that, okay? And it would be the debut album called Beginnings, and that came out in mid-'69. There were two singles released on that. One song called Genesis, which was like, uh, it was really an instrumental, and then a song called Wild Wind. They had released two singles, Genesis, which was an instrumental, and then The Wild Winds Are Blowing, all right? Both of those, as Ambrose Slade, both of those bombed. But during the recording of the album, they were, they were visited by the Animals bass player, Chaz Chandler. Now, Chandler liked them right off the bat, and he offered to manage them. He had previously managed Jimi Hendrix, so they were, they were impressed, okay? And the band would accept the offer. Now, Chandler would also impress on the band that they needed to do a lot more of their own material, Okay, and then kind of get a little bit of a change of image. So right after he would team up with them, they would shorten their name to Slade. They would drop the Ambrose, and then they also took a skinhead look. And what do you think of that? A little, little off the wall, right? Yeah, that it does sound off the wall. Do, do you remember that look, Ron, at all when they had that? No, I mean, um, you know, Ambrose Slade, and you know, just weren't popular, and nor were the first incarnation of Slade either. I mean, they, 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 their first two albums didn't sell at all. Well, that's so. true. That's true. But that skinhead look at the time in 69, I know it was uh, 
you know, it, it, it doesn't have the, it didn't have the connotations it has now. Okay. There was no racist thing. It was a reggae thing. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, wearing the big boots and the suspenders and stuff and the short hair, these guys were listening to a lot of Jamaican music, all that stuff, reggae. Yeah. And that's what it was about. And, and, but Slade, you know, took this image more as like a fashion thing because they weren't playing that kind of music. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, and I, I think it was really short-lived as well. It was. It was. It was like a year at the most, okay? Now, between 69 and 70, pretty much. Now, uh, also, the look was kind of associated with, like, football hooligans, right? Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, yeah, uh, Noddy and uh, Jim, uh, Noddy and Don Powell, they were kind of like, Kind of tough looking guys yeah. anyway so that did, really didn't help <laughs> well, yeah that's true they can't i mean naughty is you know i mean he looks like he's he's taking a few punches to the face yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no but it's 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 true and, it, and they, they didn't they wouldn't keep that look for too long but, hey, but mike let happened? me ask you a question Were these guys they were like kind of writing their own shit right they were starting to uh jim lee and naughty holder were, were always the the main songwriters of the band okay now, with that first album, I think they, you know, there were a couple of covers on there and some originals, but you know, they, I don't think they had that confidence yet that they could really write. So, like in '70, when they had this skinhead look, they would release a single of the song "Shape of Things to Come," which was from the movie "Wild in the Streets," and it was originally done by Max Frost and the Troopers. Have you ever seen this movie, Rob? No, nah, I never seen that. Oh, great, Ron. You ever see it? I've never heard of it. Oh, it's fantastic. I have it on DVD. I'll lend it to you one day, Rob. It's 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 about. Uh, it takes place at you know like during the hippies' time, '68, and they the kids start to take over the country, and like this guy who does, he's a, a rock star named Max Frost. He becomes president, and he lowers the voting age to 14. <laughs> okay, Hal Holbrook is in this movie, the famous actor Hal Holbrook. Wow, that yeah, sounds great. If man. you ever have a chance to see, it's great. But the, what's the, the name of that movie again? Wild in the Streets. Well, I gotta see that. Yeah, yeah, and, and this was the hit from it. It was like a top twenty hit by Max Frost and the Troopers, which was the the fictional name of the uh, the band in the in the in the movie. The Max Frost is the president. He becomes president after he's a rock star. But, you know, it's like, don't trust anybody over 30. So kids are, like, killing people over 30 and stuff. It's, it's nuts, okay? But that single by Slade of that cover of Shapes of Things to Come wouldn't chart. It, it failed to chart. But they did manage somehow through, I think, Chaz Chandler's connections, they managed to get on top of the pops and do that song. So Chaz Chandler would move Slade over to Polydor Records. And it was kind of in the belief that if they got on a high-profile label, it would kind of boost their sales. The original single from Beginnings, okay, called Genesis, since it was only an instrumental, they added words to it and kind of changed it around a little bit. And it became a song called Know Who You Are. And they would release that. But once again, yeah. it, would, it, it, it would flop, all right? So now we're working on another album. It was called Play It Loud, and it got released in November 1970. But again, it, it wouldn't chart. So even though the band was failing commercially, 
they were getting more and more popular as a live act. Chandler had been managing them for like two years. And in 71, he would suggest that they record Bobby Marchand's song originally performed by Little Richard called Get Down and Get With It. You know this one, Ron, right? I do know that. Yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah, that, that became a staple of their... Yeah, you know, that was always something yeah. that they had done live, okay, actually. Prior to recording it, it was part of their live act. So, you know, Chandler was like, all right, you guys do that great. Let's take a shot with that. So they actually recorded it, and it got released in mid-'71, and it became their first top-20 hit getting to number 16 in the U.K. So it was kind of in this period, in 71, that the glam rock movement was started. And you had, you know, bands like T-Rex. Bowie was working his way up. Um, Slade would jump on this, okay? They grew their hair out. They dropped, they dropped that whole skinhead thing. They, they grew their hair out long. They started to dress glam, wear makeup, stuff like that. Uh, you know, Naughty always had a, a great look, you know, the top hat with the mirrors on it. Right, Ron? Yeah, I don't, uh, that, that was his kind of iconic look. Yeah, that top hat with the reflective mirrors. I don't think Slade... Um, ever got to the point where they were wearing makeup i mean i just like little little things i can i've seen yeah but not they, they didn't wear overly makeup like some other bands but uh sometimes sweet wore a lot of makeup too yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, dave phil had like uh, you know glitter in his hair right but like that. but can i can't imagine yeah noddy in makeup he just looked like uh well there's, nothing, you know, there's, some, there's no there's no makeup that could do him just no nah, no the ugliest <laughs> drag queen ever <laughs> Hey, look, it's a face only a mother can love. That's right. <laughs> okay. Um, now, Chandler insisted that they quickly write a follow-up to that hit, Get Down and Get With It. So Jim Lee and Naughty Holder would sit down, and in a half an hour, they wrote the song, Cause I Love You. And that song, the way, you know, the two of them together and the, and the way they wrote it, it started this long writing partnership, okay, between the two guys. And it also began the classic misspelling of, of, of the titles of the songs. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, like, like when Cause I Love You is spelled C-O-Z-I-L-U-V-U. Okay. And Slade was known for, for doing that. Okay. With, their, with a lot of their songs, they would spell. And, and it used to drive the teachers crazy in the UK. Okay. Because the kids would be spelling everything wrong. Because of that, did you do that, Ron? <laughs> well, you know, um, I uh, I do remember, you know, even in the newspaper saying, "Slave teaching our kids to spell incorrectly," things like that. Yeah, but yeah, I remember that hit. That was uh, that was when I first started getting into music, and I saw them on top of the pops. And Noddy had that his flat cap, his newsboy cap, yep. and his long sideburns. Yep. And of course, what was interesting about that single was that. Uh, Jimmy Lee, who was, I think, a classical trained musician, he um, played violin on it. And uh, there just wasn't many rock records ever that feature a violin as the main instrument. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that went straight to number one. And uh, it was such a unique sound. Yep, it it would go right to number one. And, you know, it was a catchy tune with, like, you know, hand clapping and boot stomping, okay, in it. 
And it was you know what it was? It was a different sound. It was very lively, very like rock and roll, very like holy yeah. shit, what the fuck? Yeah, These guys they, are doing they great. were, you know, it, they, they were trying to capture their live show, okay, the live sound that they had. And it, you know, they would do that very well through their whole career, you know, and it, it was a signature sound of theirs, you know, that yeah. stomping beat. Now, um, it would go to number one, like I said. And then they would follow it up in early 72 with another one called Look What You Done. Now, that would peak at number four. Now, one thing that, that like I said, in the live shows, Slate Alive would be their first live album. And that would come out in March of 72. That album got to number two in the UK, but also did really well in Australia and was kind of making a buzz in the US as well. Okay. The live album, this is really interesting. The live album was recorded in front of 300 Slade fan club members at a newly built studio in Piccadilly in London. Okay. Now, in my opinion, I'm going to ask you, Ron, what you think about this. In my personal opinion, it's like in the, I would put it in the top 10 best live albums ever. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they recorded it, I think, in a purpose built as you say, uh, theatre as well, right. with a good sound. You know, it was meant to be, it was recorded with the intention of being a, a live album. And, uh, you know, um, uh, the sound that they get is fantastic on it. Yeah. And it you know, it's almost unblemished. Um, it sounds like... I don't think there's know, any overdubs on them. If there is, it's like minimal. Dude, yeah, let I mean, me tell you, that album is fucking fantastic. For a live album and it recorded, it's it sounds yeah. like you're fucking there. It's amazing. Yeah, well, uh, yeah I mean, they, they recreated that live sound. And and one thing I got to mention, too, is it 300 Slade fan club members. Now, the Slade fan club was something that the band members took very seriously. OK, they they paid attention to their fans, especially the fan club. And it was it's something that would, you know, be with them through many, many years, even through times when they weren't that popular they still had their fan club so they were always very loyal to these people were you were you a member ron no no i i i don't think i joined anybody's fan club (laughs) (laughs) i was in the kiss army uh yeah that explains a lot (laughs) that explains a lot yeah it does actually (laughs) but you know what's funny they they spell like i spell yeah yeah that's true (laughs) That's true. Yeah, you do spell like that. That's true. I spell like that many times. (laughs) Now, the next single was called Take Me Back Home, which got to number one in the UK. But it also charted in the US, got to number 97, which, you know, okay, it's not a hit, but they're, they're starting to get a little buzz with the live album and then another single. Now, they would get their third number one later in the year when they released... Mama, we're all crazy now. That would be the That's third, a great no, song. third number one in the UK. Now, the third studio album called Slade, with a question mark, Slade, S-L-A-Y-E-D, question mark, would come out November of 72. And that got to number one in the UK and Australia. Now, Slade would also reach number 69 in America. And, you know, the buzz was starting to continue a little bit with them. Goodbye to Jane was released as a single at the end of 72, and it would peak at number two. Now, the song that kept out, kept it out of number one, 
Do you know what it was, Ron? Do you remember? 1972, Christmas time. Uh, number one hit by uh, Elder Statesman of Rock. By the Tell me the artist. I can probably remember the song. Chuck Berry. Yeah. Oh, my my dingaling. Yep. Yes. My dingaling. My dingaling. This is the song that would keep that Slade song "Goodbye to Jane" from hitting number one. I wouldn't mind that if if Chuck Berry was keeping my record from number one, I I wouldn't have a problem. Yeah. You know. But you know what? I think I think um, "Goodbye to Jane" was much better than "My Dingaling." Well, you know what? It, it it is. But you know, it is still Chuck Berry. So, and that was actually yeah. Chuck Berry's last hit ever. And he's and he's only number one, I think. Mm, maybe number one certainly, in the U, number one in the UK. Certainly, certainly in the UK is the only number one he had. I don't know. Did he I have believe. any number ones in America? Uh, I don't think so. I think it was close. I think he had top tens. I don't know if he ever hit number one. Uh, that's another show we can figure yep. out. Now, um, but actually, the uh, the song "Goodbye to Jane" would actually make it to number sixty eight. In America. All right. So, again, a little bit of buzz. Not a buzz. By early 73, the monster single, Come On, oh. Come on Feel the Noise, would come out. Okay. And that would go to straight, straight to number one. And it was the first time a single had done that since the Beatles released Get Back in 1969. That's right. It, it was it was very special. I mean, um, uh you know, that was something that the national newspapers covered, you know, the right. first time anyone had gone to number one since the Beatles. Even T-Rex didn't do that. They never did it. No, I mean, yeah. uh, no, no no, one had done it up to that time. It just shows you how big Slade were. Right. And it wouldn't be the, the last time it would happen. Okay. That's true. Now, yes, yeah, Slade was pretty amazing. You got to, these guys were like rockers, man. Totally, totally. Now, the uh, the single for Come On, Feel the Noise, it would only get to number 98 in the USA. So it was a little bit of a drop-off right there. Okay. Unfortunately, tragedy would strike drummer Don Powell in July of 73. He was with his girlfriend. Uh, her name was Angela Morris, and they were in a horrific car crash in the Wolverhampton area. And the crash left Morris dead. And Powell was in a coma, okay? The band's future was up in the air for a while because Slade refused to continue on without him. So a new single got released at that time, okay? Uh, a song called Squeeze Me, Please Me. And it had gone straight to number one again, just like the last one, just like not since yeah. the previous. Okay. But a top of the pops appearance was canceled, and that was because of the the car accident that uh, Powell had. All right. At the time they had some gigs that had to be played uh, or, you know, fans would have been really let down. So Jim Lee's brother, Frank filled in on drums and it was one festival called the Isle of man festival. That yep. summer. And they did it because they just didn't want to disappoint the fans. Now, were you at any of these shows? 72, 73 run. Yeah, um, the first time I saw Slade was, I think, the end of October 1972. And it was a cha charity show at the Empire Pool, Wembley, which, is, which was by then renamed the Wembley Arena. And the Wembley Arena was probably the biggest indoor arena in the UK. Uh, 
aside from Els Court. Um, Els Court held about 18,000. Wembley Arena um, held about 9,000. Right. And uh, most most bands actually just played in you know regular theatres that held anywhere from two to 3,000. But Slade played um, at Wembley Arena, and uh, it was the first time I'd uh, seen them. They did. There was two charity shows going on at that time. Slade played the first night, which I think was a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember it well. I, in fact, it was my first ever concert. Not only that really, was my first ever Slade concert. My first ever concert. Wow. A band, a band called Blackfoot Sue opened. Um, they had a hit in the UK with "Standing in the Road," but not much else after that. Right. And then, and then Slade played, and uh, uh, um, the next night, Sunday night, the second uh, charity show was um, headlined by The Faces. Oh. Uh, and uh, the New York Dolls opened for The yes. Faces. And it was just a week before uh, Billy Mercier died right. in London. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You were at that show? N- only, the, um, only, the, only the Slade show. Oh, you weren't at, the, the, you weren't at the Dolls show? No. And you know what? Uh, I was really young at the time. I was probably about, I think I was 13. I, yeah, I think I just didn't know. I mean, there was no internet. You know, it's like I just didn't know about the faces and the doll show. Otherwise, I may have gone. But yeah, yeah, that that Slade show was. Um, now, well, was I mean, what fantastic. was it? Well, I mean, that was like at their almost. I want to say almost at their peak, pretty much. What what? Yeah. What was it like? I mean, the the shows seemed really raucous. Yeah, yeah. The um, Mama uh, had been number one. Goodbye to Jane hadn't been released yet, but they they previewed it. They said this is our next single. You know. Um, they played that. I, I remember, you know, it was really loud. Um, fans were going crazy. I mean, Slade had a, I mean, primarily a male following. It was, yeah. you know, there was a, a lot of girls. I can see that. But, but, but uh, Slade were primarily a, a, a male following. You know, it was, as I said, really loud. The crowd were pressed up against the barriers, you know. Um, yeah. You know, and, and Noddy Howard's voice was, you know, there was no, no fake in that. He really had a loud yeah. rock and roll powerful He was voice. just right. He, he was a loud. He was, you know, he's probably the kind of guy, like, if you hung out with him, his voice takes up the whole room, you know. He's a, a loud, raucous kind of guy. So he's a great front man in that way. Yeah. Dave, Dave Hill is a really good guitar yeah. player. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the thing about Slade is, by and large, they played the same songs all the time, you know, and there was four chords, five chords yeah. and they lasted four minutes and they they knew their set really well and uh you know they 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 they, they put in great live performances and I, I i can remember you know a lot of the set because it was similar to what was on slade alive um you know they, they, right. hadn't, they hadn't released um slade yet so there was no there was no new material other than singles and they and they they did hear me calling which is the i think alvin lee song uh-huh um, they did um, In Like a Shot from My Gun, which uh, I think was also in Slade Alive. Darling, Be Home Soon. Right. The John Sebastian song, they played that. And they did Because I Love You, which was actually one of the few times I saw them do it because, uh, you know, they never had additional musicians. So you, I don't think I ever saw them do Look What You've Done, their second hit single, because that mainly featured a piano. That's um, something they weren't going to bring out. You know, like, yeah, when, and yeah. they did Mama, We're All Crazy Now. They did Take Me Back Home, Get Down and Get With It. And and I remember they I remember they previewed Goodbye to Jane. Wow. That's incredible. And, That's incredible. And, yeah, and you know, and they um 
you know, it, the concert probably cost about four bucks, three or four bucks to get in. <laughs> the, the band would have played for, in those days, they never played for much more than an hour, maybe 75 minutes, and that was it. Yeah. You, know, you had a great time, you went home and, uh, you know. That's perfect for me, man. That's why I like punk rock. I got no attention span. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Now, getting back to the history of, you know, Powell had this car accident. He had to have some surgery because of breaks to both his ankles, five broken ribs. And to this day, he still has short-term memory problems and sensory problems from that accident. He would recover. And about 10 weeks later, he joined the band in New York City as they recorded the classic single merry christmas everybody okay <laughs> and they, they recorded that here in new york city in the middle of like a fall heat wave that year okay so the band didn't want to lose momentum so they released uh, uh, uh the record company released a, a best of album called slatest okay and that went to number one in the uk and australia in the first week of its release a new single was released called my friend stan Okay, and I want to talk to you about this song for a second, Ron. Okay, uh, the single was called My Friend Stan and it was released in late 73. It was a different kind of Slade song, it was piano driven. Okay, it didn't have uh, you know, it wasn't a ballad, but it didn't have that stomping Slade beat of some of their other singles. Okay, but Slade at that point really couldn't do any wrong. And it would get to number two in the UK and number one in Ireland. Now, let me ask you, Ron, what do you think of that song? I love it. Yeah. I thought it was a great song. It is. And it, I have to admit, at first hearing it many years ago, I didn't like it. Okay. It just, for some reason, it it just didn't feel like a Slade song. But, I, it, I you know, after listening to it for years, I, it really grew on me. And it's actually, you know, it, it's whenever I hear it, I'm like, yeah, that's just like a perfect song, you know? Yeah. I don't think it was, I don't, I can't recall them playing it live much. No, I don't think, I mean, like you said, it had the piano. Okay. So it it was something they probably weren't going to do live. Now, Christmas time of 73, Slade would release that Christmas song, Merry Christmas, Everybody. And it would become the band's last ever number one in the UK. The single has remained popular all these years. It's been re-released bunch of times and occasionally it still charts uh you know it's a great christmas song you hear it you know every christmas uh i guess in the uk it's really a lot bigger right oh yeah i mean that that that, that is probably the most famous christmas pop song you know ever recorded now my fame my favorite christmas pop song is father christmas by the king yeah <laughs> I always love that one. <laughs> but Merry Christmas, everybody is great. I, I, I listen to it every Christmas. And, and it seems like they kind of drag Naughty out, right? Like every Christmas, you, he gets some kind of appearance, right? Well, I, I'm not sure, um, you know, what Naughty's up to, you know, because, you know, he'll probably come to this later because, you know, he retired, you know, very, at a very early age. Yeah, um, he did. As far as the music business is concerned, um, you know, uh, you, you can always get him, as, you can always, uh, get him to record a uh, you know an audio clip about the song because you know it's um provided his retirement pension oh okay <laughs> okay he's, you know i've seen him on tv though like on some british shows but... oh yeah he yeah he he he, he uh yeah he, he he had a kind of a a, 
an acting uh, career after after Slade. Yeah, yeah, he did a little yeah. bit of little bit of acting here and there. Now, in in February '74, the band would release a new album called "Old, New, Borrowed, and Blue," and it went to number one. And in an attempt to break the American market, it was titled "Stomp Your Hands and Clap Your Feet" in America, but it failed to kind of break the top 100 in America at all. It really, didn't make much of a splash here. So a new single called Every Day was released in March, and it got to number three in the UK. And then mid-year, another single called The Bangin' Man, which was another like hard-rocking song typical of Slade, got to number three. The second half of 74 saw the band considering a movie. Um, they were offered many scripts to, to look at, but they ended up settling on Slade in Flame. Now, Slade in Flame is a gritty story about a fictional 60s group called flame now in the in, incorporated into the script there's a lot of uh true music business stories that's kind of based on slade's rise to fame stuff that really happened to them in the business um it's it's a it's a movie that when you watch it well going into it if you've never seen it you think it's going to be like a typical kind of light rock and roll movie but it's not it's 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 kind of like it shows the real dark shitty side of the business, and Slade is you know, a band kind of playing themselves. Even though they're called Flame, but I think the I think the film kind of it, it, it's a very good movie, but but it, I think it confused a lot of the fans because I think they thought they were going to get a rock and roll light kind of movie, a good time kind of movie, and it, and it wasn't. What's your thoughts of the film, Ron? Well, I really enjoyed the film, and I didn't really have you know uh, too many high expectations because I'd seen a lot of you know rock and roll films, and I know what they're they're like. You know, they're um, you're not going to get you know Oscar worthy acting performances. Not too often. Yeah, and uh, um, as it happened, going back to old old you Boyd and Blue, I really liked the uh, you know the songs on it. I, I like the fact that they you know didn't sound like you know the previous uh slade recording yeah it was a different and uh, yeah and and i love the music from flame it's actually my favorite slade album the soundtrack so, yeah the soundtrack so you know um you know the uh the film was just a, a vehicle for me to you know watch the life the performances of the band uh you know as a film itself you know it was it was fine but uh I love the soundtrack, so that's what really well, makes it. Well, it's, it's interesting you pick it as your favorite Slade record because the single from the movie called Far, Far Away that got to number two in the UK and actually hit number one in Norway is Naughty Holder's favorite Slade song. Yeah, I, 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 he's spoken about that a couple of times. Yeah. I've heard interviews where you know he talks about, I think, I'm not sure if he wrote it in Memphis. Um, he may have done. Maybe, maybe. Now, the main theme for the film uh, only peaked at number 15. It was a song called How Does It Feel? And it kind of, you know, some, some point at this as kind of the beginning of the, the decline of the popularity of the band. Uh, I don't know. Getting to number 15 is not that bad. Okay. But they were having number ones, number twos, number threes. So by May of 75, they released a new single called Thanks for the Memory, Wham Bam, Thank You, Ma'am. And that would actually do a little bit better than the last one. It would get to number seven. And it was the last top ten of the 1970s that they would have. 
So by mid-75, Slade will be becoming a little dis- disillusioned about not breaking in America. They were kind of like, you know, like I said, there was a buzz about them over the last two, three years. And, uh, you know, some stuff would, you know, you'd hear about them. The live album was critically received very well. Um, but they just couldn't break through. And, and they wanted to do something about it. So in the U.K., they were kind of seeing a little bit of a drop off of their popularity and in Europe in general. So they decided to make a permanent move to America. And they wanted to kind of build a solid reputation based on their live shows, which is how they really got started in the first place in the UK, right? Yeah. Yeah. So in August and September of 75, Slade took 12 tons of equipment to America. Wow. Not exaggerating, 12 tons of equipment. And toured the remainder of the year and into 76 all over the United States. They played with Aerosmith. They played with ZZ Top. They played with Black Sabbath. Uh, they would occasionally come back to the UK for some TV performances. Okay. But they were basically based out of America at this point. Now, in mid-75, Slade booked themselves into the record plant studios in New York City to record a new album called Nobody's Fools. The album was a break into kind of a new musical direction for the band. They brought in soul singer Tasha Thomas to do backing vocals on a few tracks. The album had elements of country, funk, and soul to it. Uh, the first two singles are In For A Penny. The next one's called Let's Call It Quits. They were released in November 75 and January 76. Both went top 20 in the UK, but didn't make a splash anywhere else. The album would be released in March of 76, but got to number 14 and didn't make any impact in America at all. Wow. So the title track also uh, with Tasha Thomas on it as a single bombed. All right. So Slade's... UK fans began to kind of feel that the band kind of sold out for going to America and, and, and kind of forgetting their fan base at home. Now, do you agree with that, Ron? Ron you were there. I mean, were, were yeah. the fans kind I, of pissed off? I don't rec- You know what? They could have been. Um, but, you know, I was just moving on to other um, music by then. I, I really liked In For A Penny, but I think... Um, Nobody's Fools album was the first Slade album that I didn't buy. So I was kind of like, uh, you know, I, I just seen it through other bands like, uh, you know, uh, I, T-Rex's out, output, you know, um, got kind of sketchy. I, I, Were I you listening a... to stuff like uh, like Dr. Feelgood and stuff like that? Yeah, I loved I loved Dr. Feelgood. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I wasn't... I think I just started to move on. Yeah, I'll grow them a little bit. That's all. Yeah, I, I, I don't grown them. And uh, even, you know, um, I, I love Bowie's, um, you know, early hit albums like uh, Hunky Dory, Ziggy, yeah. Diamond Dog, Pin Ups. But again, I, I wasn't a fan of um, the Young Americans and I'd moved on from there as well. So, yeah, I, um, I was kind of disconnecting somewhat from Slade by this time. Yeah, yeah. And I guess other people were as well. I wouldn't say I was you know, pissed off because they weren't playing. I think I was just moving on. And 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 people were, and that's why, you know, their record sales were, were dropping. They were dropping, yeah, drum dropping. Yeah. Now the band would return to the UK after this American venture was seen as a failure. So they would come back. 
but live shows in the states were popular and they were you know well received but it just didn't translate into radio airplay for the band or really any commercial success in america so they went back to england now we were just talking about musical changes now when they got back to england punk rock was kind of the new rage at that point right and and slade was perceived as a little bit of uh out of style or a little old fashioned but Chaz Chandler didn't get them re-signed to Polydor at that point. He signed them to his own label called Barn Records. And the first single released on the Barn label was a song called Gypsy Roadhog. And that was January of 77. But because of supposed, supposed drug references in the song, it got banned by the BBC. And it would stall the single in the UK at number 48. There was a piece of graffiti. Now, maybe you saw this, Ron, in your, in your time. But there was a piece of graffiti written on a wall in London that said, whatever happened to Slade? Question <laughs> mark. <laughs> and they, they kind of, someone told them about it, and they thought it was great. So they used that question as the, the next album title, okay? And it was released in March of 77, whatever happened to Slade. Chandler was said to be kind of disappointed with this record. Okay, he he produced it with them, uh, but he was disappointed with the songs. He felt that they were not really commercial enough, and the album did bomb. Okay, but but Slade, you know, after coming back, but you know what, the yeah. album bombed, but it had critical acclaim. Like oh, the yeah. critics loved yeah, it. Yeah, no, the critics loved it, and I actually listened to it today. It was the first time I'd heard it in years. It's and not a bad album. It, it's <laughs> not. It's not. It's just kind of like. I don't know. The, the, the vocals are a little different sounding. It's naughty, but but it's not the same kind of style the way he did it before. But one thing that they would do when this album came out is they would like start playing small venues right away, and even places like universities and stuff they would play. Well, punk. Mike, you know why? Because like British punk was starting to listen to them that album. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that uh, you know. The punk bands, and you could probably attest to this, Ron. I think the punk bands grew up on Slade and the glam, you know, the glitter bands, and they they didn't have a problem with Slade. But even though they were like a little bit, you know, older than them, they, you know, Slade kind of like got, you know, continued to play. And by playing in small clubs, I think that impressed the punks. What do you think? Well, I, you know, I I'm not I'm not quite sure. Um, you know, Slade didn't get you know, the criticism that the prog bands did. Right. Um, but, um, you know, I just, I don't know what happened to Slade. You aware of him to Slade? That's a good question <laughs> because, you know, the, um, unless you were the Who or the Stones or of that stature, every, almost every rock band just fell off a cliff when punk came, came about. Yeah. And it was hard for them to get gigs. And, you know, the, the music press in the UK you know, that was all national. You, you know, they come out weekly, the Melody Maker, um, uh, Enemy, Sound. Right. You know, they were, they were national press. They had, they had readerships in the hundreds of thousands and uh, they were almost set in the trends. And, you know, you know they weren't covering Slade. Um, it was just covering punk. Um, you know, I just, uh, you, you know, you'll never find anyone. It's hard to find people that don't like Slade, but, you know, they're, you know, for that period of time, you know, you know, people just weren't interested in them. Um, 
that you know that's just well whatever you know whatever outrageousness that they they had was kind of like not as much as the punks were doing you know the whole filth and the fury and all that stuff you know there was a lot to write about i guess maybe slade was more just straight ahead rock rock and roll yeah and and slade you know they didn't indulge in any bad behavior anyway. I mean, you know, uh, yeah. uh, misspellings was about as bad as they <laughs> Mis- got. Misspelling a couple of bar fights and, you know, maybe one too many pints. That's- yeah, I mean, the, 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 they weren't known for any, uh, you know, drug indulgences or anything like that. As far Not as I'm aware, so. the, the band, members, band members never got arrested, you know. So, uh, yeah, Slade were as newsworthy as their music. And, uh, you know, it was great in the early 70s and it was popular, but... You know, ninety nine percent of popular bands, you know, see a, a drop off and well, you, can't, you, can't, you can't keep it going forever. Everybody no. has a drop off. Guys, you know what's funny? The better spader they became, the less they got on the chart. <laughs> <laughs> I never put that I never put that together. I swear I swear <laughs> to God, man. <laughs> when they were misspelling, they were doing better, right? <laughs> yeah, but now yeah, that they started yeah. spreading it was like what? <laughs> wow. Now in the spring of that year, they would release a single called Burning in the Heat of Love, and that tanked, okay? But a follow-up in the fall was a single called My Baby Left Me, But That's All Right, okay? And it was kind of like, uh, uh, that song was almost a tribute to Elvis. Elvis had passed away in August, okay? And, you know, the My Baby Left Me, But That's All Right, I, I that's all right, Mama. I'm sorry, I left Mama off before. That's the name of the song. I never realized that was a tribute to Elvis. You know that? Well, that's all right, Mama. You know? Yeah, uh, I never realized that. Yeah, and that would go to number 32 in the UK, so it did a little bit better than the last single. But the following spring, in March of '78, they released a football chant-themed song called "Give Us a Goal." Now, do you know this one, Ron? They yeah, I know it really well. I mean, it, it, it wasn't a hit. And no. I think by this time, they were really getting desperate. Yeah, I think, right. They were trying to do anything pretty much to, to yeah. have a hit. But that song's been used in commercials over the years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it, I mean, uh, it, I guess it's um, a Slade original, but it, I remember when it came it out, it just sounded familiar. It's probably got some familiar refrains in it. Yeah, you know, and just it had that stomping, you know, that yeah. stomping sound. But... In August of 78, Naughty Holder was involved in a brawl with a bouncer from the Stonely Club, okay? Uh, it's a club located in Porth, uh, Porth Call, South Wales. You know where that is? Porth Call, yeah, it's probably near Cardiff. Oh, okay, okay. Porth Call, South okay. Wales, yeah. Yeah, it was the Stonely Club. Uh, the bouncer's name was Desmond Brothers, and, and he got jailed for three months for breaking Naughty's nose. Okay? Yeah. Now, Naughty... Uh-huh had complained to the club owners at the, the gig the night before about brothers and some other bouncers being real rough with the fans and brothers just attacked them and they, they got into a brawl. And even though Naughty got a broken nose, he still played the next night. Okay. So in 1981, there was a single years later called Knuckles with Nancy. And that was kind of like about that incident. More about that later, but knuckle knuckle sandwich Nancy. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Now another single would come out uh, called Rock and Roll Bolero, and that was released in late '78. Uh, again, another commercial flop. They they were they were desperate, 
But I kind of like that song. It it is a good song. Okay, I have it on an anthology. It's 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 a it's a very good song. I don't know why it it didn't do good. I have no yeah. idea. Music was changing, like we were just saying. So a new uh a new live album would come out that year. Okay, uh, they called it Slade Alive Two, Volume Two, I should say, and it was kind of like uh recordings from the '76 tour of America. And the 77 tour in the UK, a combination of, of both. Now, it- yeah, I, I, I recall that. I, I, I bought it um, uh, I, I bought it when it came out. Yeah. It was probably the first Slade album I'd brought since Flame. Really? So it was like a wow. good year or two, right? Yeah. Wow, wow. Um, was it just because it was another live album you thought it was worth it? Oh yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, and uh, you know, it had uh, different material on from the from Slade Alive. So, yeah, I bought it on the basis that I pretty much knew it was going to be great sounding stuff. Yeah, and it is a good album. Yeah, and it's and what I like about it is it's that kind of middle period, like you know that they were doing some of those other songs that they're not so famous for. You know, um, in '79 it was a tough year for Slade. Okay. They had three singles released, one's, one called Ginny Ginny, uh, a song called Sign of the Times, and a song called Okie Pokie. They all bombed. They released the album Return to Bass in October of that year, and it was the first to not be produced by Chaz Chandler. What was happening was Chandler was managing and producing them, but he started arguing with Jim Lee over... Like it went back a couple of years, actually from 77. It was kind of over creative differences in the band and, you know, what would be the singles, what wouldn't be, uh, just whatever direction they were going. They, they, were, they were at, at uh, you know, at each other's throats about it. And he would actually sever his producing relationship with the band at that point. Okay. He was kept on as manager. They didn't want to lose them all together. They had a good working relationship. But the album return to bass was pretty much produced by the band or really jim lee he, he did a lot of it uh, he jim lee would be very uh later on he would just want to be a studio guy you know after the band was done in the 80s he just did a lot of studio work um the album return to bass didn't sell well at all except in one country you know where it was ron no belgium <laughs> okay it went to number one in belgium and their single, a cover of Chuck Berry's I'm a Rocker, also got to number one in Belgium. So they were big in Belgium at that point. You know what I always find amazing? Like British, like a British band, if they don't do good, they go to somewhere else and they do good, which is amazing. Or they go to Australia or they go to, it's amazing how that, that works. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the, the UK and the Australia scenes are kind of tied in, right, Ron? Yeah. I mean, uh, Australian music charts are kind of by and large made up of uk and us artists yeah uh, actually and that's that in the 70s that was true of almost any chart in europe really? you know, it, you know they, they were dominated by english-speaking artists yeah yeah true true but you know it's interesting how it, it caught on in belgium of all places yeah that's amazing <laughs> so late in 79 jim lee formed this side project called the dummies okay and, you know, he, he was with, with his brother Frank in the band. They released three singles as the dummies, but they got actually some radio epic. But the problem was the sales suffered of these singles because 
they screwed with the, with the records. They had distribution problems. Uh, do you recall the dummies, Ron? No, not at all. Um, uh... I had to YouTube it, okay, and I found uh, a couple of the, the singles. And it's not bad. It's, it, it's not bad at all. It sounds like songs that could have been in Slade, I guess, you know. But uh, it was just the, the dummies. I don't, I don't know what Jim Lee was trying to do with that. Uh, it might have been that he wanted to see if his songs would sell under a different name. I, sure. I think you know? that's all it was. He, he was trying to sell songs under another name, try another group, see if they would go. And, you know, still no success. Nope. Didn't do well at all. Now, it's interesting because it could have done well. But they had distribution problems. Another, another act around the same time was was Johnny Thunders. Okay, yeah. uh, you you know this, Ron. When when you can't put your arms around a memory came out. Yeah. All right. The the single was a big hit, but you couldn't find the record, and it was because they didn't press enough, and they didn't distribute it right. Okay, what they had. So that's always something I always. I always use that as, a, as an example of how, you know, you got to have all your ducks in order, man. They, they, didn't, they didn't expect you can't put your arms around a memory to be big, but they, they should have been able to distribute the record right, too, you know. So it yeah. didn't happen. But that, that yeah. happened with, with Jim Lee. So in February of 80, um, an interesting thing happened. Uh, bon, Scott, bon Scott from ACDC had passed away a month before, and – ACDC was needing a, a frontman, and they actually went to Naughty, and they asked him if he would if he would join ACDC, and he turned them down. He said, you know, even though Slade's not doing that good, I'm still loyal to that band. I'm not going to join. Dude, him. imagine if he would have joined that ACDC, would have still been the same thing. Uh, well, they were even, with, but they actually still were. Yeah, yeah that's when, that's but I mean, even if they would have got Holden or the other guy, I think it would have still been very. They still would have been very popular. I mean, yeah, I, Bon Scott, not uh, Brian Johnson. I mean, and 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 Naughty are kind of similar in a way, right? Yeah, they're very similar. Yeah, yeah. I, and also, you know, Geordie, when uh, the Brian was, you know, Lee Singer for. I mean, they were virtually a Slade copycat band. I think. That's right. That's I've heard like one or two songs from them. They they do sound a little bit like Slade. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Um, in mid nineteen eighty, they released their first EP called Six of the Best." And it was three tracks from the Return to Bass album and three new new songs. It was sold at like a cut rate price just to try to increase the sales, but it didn't chart at all. Okay, the band decided at that point to kind of stop working together. It wasn't exactly a breakup, but Dave Hill, um, you know, they they were actually hurting a little bit financially too, and Dave Hill would take on this side project, a job of like driving couples to their weddings in his Rolls Royce. <laughs> wow, that's... Okay, yeah. And he only did it one time and it was with a, 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 a members of the fan club that were getting married. <laughs> so Desperate that, times. that business didn't take off for him, unfortunately. But, but you know, I was going to tell you a few things about some of the live shows I saw Go ahead. around this time because, you know, after that Wembley show in 72, I did see Slade at places like Hammersmith Odeon, you know, a few times right. at their peak. Um, and, uh, but some of the more memorable shows were where they, you know, their sales are dropped off 
uh, they weren't the live draw anymore, even though they were always fantastic live. And I um, I saw them at Wembley again in 1978, and uh, there was a, there used to be an annual. Uh, music festival called the Great British Music Festival. It was an indoor festival. Uh, it took place at uh, Wembley Arena and also sometimes at uh, Olympia in London. And I remember going in 78 and Slade were billed as the special guests, but they were only actually third on the bill. Oh, They, they, they were behind uh, The Jam, who headlined, yep. and uh, Generation X. Oh. And uh, it was like, um, you know, it was... It was kind of weird um, seeing you know, Slade play this place. And it wasn't sold out, I believe. So now Slade are third on the bill um, at, at a, a show which isn't sold out. Six years earlier, they topped the bill and sold it out. Wow. But, uh, yeah, and then 79, um, um, they played, um, they were on tour then. They were probably playing some of the, the university shows that, that Mike just mentioned, and they played a ball, a ballroom in North London called the Royalty Ballroom in a, a little suburb called Southgate, and probably holds about 1,500. I, I, I remember just driving there on the spur of the moment because it was only about 25 minutes away and probably paying about, you know, $5 to go and see them um, uh, then. And, uh, and then Mike... You know, mentioned you know uh, Dave using his Rolls Royce to ferry yeah. um, uh, ferry <laughs> wedding guests around. Well, um, early in 1980, the last time I saw Slade, um, they played um, the Marquee Club in London. Marquee's famous for launching the careers of the Stones, yep. Yardbirds, so many bands. The Who, yep. and, and now you know Slade had played there on their way up in 1970. Um, now ni- March 1980, so I think about three, four months before they played the Reading Festival. Um, uh, my brother and I went to see them at the Marquee, March 1980, and it was sold out, but it only holds 400 people. You know, it's a long way short of the 9,000 that they played at Fort uh, Wembley. And, and of course, their most famous concert, you know, I think every, every major band has that, that, that concert where you know, they know they've really made it, and Slade sold out Els Court in 1973 and played in front of 18,000 people. Now they're playing in front of 400. And, uh, you know, the, the, this was interesting. They were still playing, they still played Hear Me Calling, you know, the, um, uh, the, uh, I, I think I said it was um, Alvin Lee. You might have been not sure if it was 10 years after or Alvin Lee. Okay. I can't remember now. It, they, they played My Baby Left Me, which Mike had just mentioned. Um, and uh, and a few of their more you know uh, uh, later songs, they still did a few of the hits. Yeah. But um, you know, um, they ended up with "Born to Be Wild," um, which they played on Slade Alive, and it was a fantastic show. I remember it was hot in there. You know, the temperatures were over 100 degrees. There's no <laughs> such thing as air conditioning in in the UK then, and the crowd were just rammed against the stage. Um, they were still still you know putting off fantastic live shows. Yeah, I mean, that was a continuous thing through their whole career, the live show, you know. Um, one thing, too, and, and you know, you, you, you kind of proved it right here, is, is they would be, you know, rise to fame and then, you know, the de- decline of their popularity, but they still kept playing, they still kept performing and still recording. And it just, to me, 
it, it's really just, I mean, it's a great story about your tenacity to keep going. You know what I mean? I mean, th- these guys, they, they, they love their fans. They love, they love to play. They could have hung it up in 75 or 74. Okay. Never seen them again. And, and they would still be great, but they still, they wanted to keep playing. And, you mentioned the Reading Festival, okay, and I want to talk about that because that would be very pivotal for them. Now, the Reading Festival in England was in August of 1980, and what happened was Ozzy Osbourne, okay, was supporting his new album, The Blizzard of Oz, and he had to pull out of the festival, okay? His band had a problem, and he had to pull out. So they were scrambling for a band, and Slade was available, so they agreed to play. But Hill didn't want any part of the show. He didn't want to play. Okay. Uh, Chaz Chandler was brought in to pay him a visit. And, you know, the other guys couldn't convince him. So Chandler said to him, you know, if you want to, if you don't want to be in the band anymore, at least do this gig and you'll go out in front of 5,000 fans. Okay. So he actually agreed to that. All right. And, it, you know, the members of the band were almost going into that show. I don't think they told anybody, but he was going into the show as like, this could be a farewell show. Okay. And what happened was when they got on stage and they played, they blew everybody away. It was like an amazing, I mean, the crowd went nuts. Okay. And the, the musical press started talking about him again. The performance was rebroadcast a few times. And, you know, everybody was talking about how great Slade was. So, you know, they they were not going to break up, okay? And afterwards, the band uh, would actually sign to Cheapskate Records. And that was owned by Chandler, Jim Lee, and his brother, Frank Lee. And by doing that, it kind of, like, gave them a lot of creative control over their music. And the band then, you know, to keep the momentum going hurriedly uh, released uh, an EP called uh, Alive at Reading and also one called Christmas Earbender. Both did pretty well. And Polydor, uh, their old label, um, recognizing the hype that was starting again with them, uh, put out a greatest hits, okay, called Slade Smashes. And that album was heavily promoted and it got to number 15 and would go gold by December of that year. Wow. That was just the greatest hits. Okay. Now, aiming at the kind of new heavy metal scene that was starting, Slade would release a song called We'll Bring Down the House. And it was a very like heavy rock song. And it would hit number 10 in the UK. It was their first top 10 of the new decade. And an album of the same name, We'll Bring Down the House, would peak at number 25. Um, a new single called Wheels Ain't Coming Down was released to kind of keep that momentum going, and it would get to number 60. It still kept Slade in the public eye, even though it only got to 60, but they were also writing new material and planning uh, an extensive European tour. Now, the next single would be Knuckle Sandwich Nancy, okay, which harkens back to the brawl that Naughty Holder got into with that bouncer. It was released as a single, but Chandler didn't want to release it, okay, and didn't like the song, didn't think it was worthy to even promote it, okay. Uh, The band wanted it released, so they actually uh, 
what would happen is they would, they would release it on a different label also, okay? Which kind of pissed off the band that they had to go about and do that. But uh, in the end, um, in the end, uh, Chaz Chandler would sell his share of the Cheapskate Records and kind of like let Slade manage themselves. And, you know, he was kind of like not with them anymore at that point. Okay. And uh, before he would leave them, he would stay on to manage a little bit. But before he would leave them entirely, he got them a good record deal with RCA Records. And uh, the band's first full release on RCA was a European hit single called Lock Up Your Daughters. Do you remember this song, Ron? Um, yes, but um, I was never a fan of Slade's heavy phase. Yeah, the heavy so phase. Yeah, I, 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 I have to admit, as, a, as you, know, you know, I was about 13 at that point, okay? And I was, I was listening to it. But I was aware that they had, like, an older career. But I liked it. The little bit that I heard, I would hear here and there. It was hard to, you know, I knew a little bit about them at that yeah. age. But uh, the, the, the first hit single was Lock Up Your Daughters. And it got to number 29 in the UK. Now, by November of 81, the album Till Death Do Us Part was released. And it got to number 68. It was their heaviest album of their entire catalog, I think, really. Like, if you listen to some of the later stuff they did that was more geared towards metal. I think this album was, was the heaviest. Uh, it would get to 68 only, but they did have some controversy with it because of the album cover. Do you remember this album cover, Ron? Not really. It was an ear with a nail going in it. Yes, okay. I do recall it. And, yeah. and yeah. certain stores in, in the UK like wouldn't carry it because of that. So... You know, they dealt with it, I guess, it being it wasn't really banned, but it was like not carried everywhere. Years later, when it came out on CD, they would change the album cover and it would be like the band and kind of like a flame, you know, pictures of them in a flame. Yeah. But the first single from Till Death to Us Part was a track called Ruby Red. And it was the opening track to the album, a song called Rock and Roll Preacher that when it was released in Germany in April of 82, it made a splash. Okay. I love that song, Rock and Roll Preacher. That's a, that's a great tune. And it, that was like a, a, a track that they brought right to their live show. It used to open the show. Okay. And there's a good live performance. I think it's on top of the pops of them doing that on YouTube if you ever want to look at it. Uh, a few more singles that year came out, but they failed commercially. And a third and last Slade live album was released that year called Slade on Stage. And it was well received by the critics, but it only peaked at number 58. So, by, yeah, I, I, yeah, I did buy that as well. Um, and I, I liked it. Yeah, I mean, uh, pretty faithful renditions of uh, some of their um, uh, later singles. You know, it, it's interesting. I think you could, you know, if you just bought the three, live albums that they have never heard the studio stuff they would still be great you know? yeah they, they would oh yeah without question yeah i mean it's amazing really how they were able to pull it off and get that live sound on vinyl like that so you did buy that ron right yes i did yeah okay. now by 83 slade was having some minor success with rca but the label had big expectations for them okay and they would send them away, actually, sometimes to write songs. 
they came back to the label with two singles to produce for them. And it was a song called Run, Run Away and a song called My Oh My. My Oh My was a ballad. All right. And an early demo of it had RCA, you know, ecstatic and, and the, the, the uh, Run, Run Away song was like a Celtic sounding kind of tune. Okay. Very catchy. And that would be a big hit too. Now, RCA brought in producer John Punta to work with them. He had success with Roxy Music and also Procol Harum and some other British bands. But Punter was the first producer to work with them other than Chandler. So they, they only had Chandler or they did things themselves. And he had kind of a different recording method than, than what they were used to. What he did was was what a lot of producers do really is, is they record you separately. Okay. They were used to recording all together in the same room. And some producers don't like that. Uh, if you ever seen uh, uh, one, on, one on One, right? The, the Sympathy for the Devil movie with the Stones, Ron? Yeah. Okay. You know how you, they're all kind of separate? Sure. Okay, yeah. That's, that's the kind of style that he did. And uh, the band got used to it, but, but Naughty, Naughty never liked it. He felt it, it kind of messed with their chemistry too much. But the power ballad, My Oh My, was released as a single in November of 83. Now, by Christmas, it got to number two in the UK and also was doing well across Europe, particularly in Scandinavia. The new album was called The Amazing Kamikaze Syndrome. And it would be produced, co-produced by Lee and Punter. And uh, that got released in December of 83. The album, after a couple of weeks, was only at number 74. It was kind of stalling in the charts. So in order to kind of kickstart the album sales, they released another single. And that was Run, Run Away in January of 84. Now, that single will get to number seven in the U.K., and pushed the album to number 45. So it, you know, it knocked it up like almost 30 points. It would eventually go to number one in Sweden and Norway. They were pretty big in Scandinavia. While the two singles and the album rose up the charts, the band would be touring the UK heavily, and it would be their last like real UK tour that they would do. Okay. Uh, in late 83, <clears throat> Naughty Holder would produce the female rock band Girl School album, okay, Play Dirty. You familiar with this album, Ron? Yeah. Okay. Now, that's the album that they do, 20th Century Boy. They do a great yes, cover of right. that T-Rex song. Uh, but they also do two slave songs on that album, uh, Burning in the Heat of Love and High and Dry. Okay. I love that. I love Girl School. I think they're like such a, an underrated band and I really appreciated that much. But they would just kick ass, you know. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure I saw them. I, I. I'm trying to think if I, when I did see them, they. Uh, they may have supported Motorhead. I was just gonna uh, say you probably saw them with Motorhead because they yeah. did that tour together. It was called, uh, what Head Head Girl, right? Head Girl. What What year was it? It had to be like '83. Yeah, I think I may have seen the sh the London show at the Lyceum. Yeah, they they, they, uh, they, they they called themselves Head Girl, and it was just the two bands. Motorhead in girls' school, yeah, yeah, you know, cool. I wish I could have seen that, man. That was that the the Motorhead uh, London Lyceum show I saw around about them. Still, the loudest 
concept. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll always say Motorhead is the loudest band I ever heard. You, you'd be deaf for two days. They were yeah. the loudest band. Did you ever see them, Rob? I saw them at a WrestleMania. They, they played a song for Triple H. Oh, yeah. I remember you told me that. I saw them at B.B. King's one time in the midnight. And I was deaf, I think, for like five days. It was because like, <laughs> I, I, I bought like a VIP seat. Okay, and I was pretty close to the stage, and it just was like, you know, so loud. But uh, they were known for that, you know. Now, in in late '83, speaking of metal bands, okay, Quiet Riot would release the album Metal Health, and they did their cover of Slade's "Come On, Feel the Noise." Now that was kind of like America's reintroduction to Slade, in a way, or maybe even an introduction because they never really quite made it here at that point but come on feel the noise was a you know a a classic slade song and it gets to number five here because of the success of quiet riot slade's uh cover of the slade cover uh cbs would will re-release um they excuse me they would release run run away here in the states okay and you know that was the break okay it was actually somebody covering their song hitting the top 10 that got them to have a single here hit the top 20 okay it got to number 20 it stayed in the top 100 for 17 weeks it was slade's only top 20 in america run run away and a lot of it really had to do with the video do you remember the video for that rob or Ron, either one. Yeah, I, I, I do remember it. Yeah, it was, it was. Yeah, that, that was kind of my, that was kind of UK's reintroduction. Yeah, you know, to Slade as well. Yeah, my, my and Run Runaway. It's been a few years. You know, they had, uh, you know, top ten hits. True, true. Now uh, it was filmed at East North Castle, okay, in England. And if you remember, the video had like them playing like live out front, and then there's all these people trying to storm the castle. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a it's a great video it's like very light you know it's like silly like they're making faces and stuff Nadi's making these faces in the video and everything when he's playing but i mean it it, it you know it, it really was like a reintroduction i guess for, for the uk and it, for me i love that song i mean it, it got heavy rotation on mtv i was anytime it came on man i was watching it you know i love that yeah i I um my only problem with the song was um it, I thought it just sounded so much in the style of big country um big country yeah you're right I, I I never thought of that and I'm not a big country fan thank God but oh man yeah I mean look Slade always you know through the career you could tell sometimes when they were trying to have a hit you know. But I think it's yeah. I think it's a catchy song. I, I, oh, it's a great song. Yeah. yeah, it's a great song. But I think, uh, yeah, they were doing they were uh, doing a little big country rip off. Okay, I'll give that. Yeah, we were you know we were talking about how they were desperate for hits and uh, I just, yeah, they, was they, that they, the they, song that the guy had like a big log? He's yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my like, god, that brings like so many big memories. Ball, <laughs> big ball muscle guy, and he takes the log to break down the door. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Now, in August of 84, okay, My Oh My got released in the United States as a follow-up to Run, Run Away. Uh, it also had another memorable video. That's a that's a cool video. It's like, um, did you ever see it, Ron, the video for that one? 
I don't remember it, it mate. Yeah, it wasn't as big a hit here. It only got to number 37. But the video got some airplay. It was like a kind of like a testament to them being a band. Like like there's like you see them get on a, a flatbed truck and like Naughty's like hitchhiking in the middle of like Kansas somewhere, like in the weeds and the cornfields or whatever. And he gets picked up and then they, they start playing on this like flatbed truck and then like everybody's watching them and they get in. There's a lot of girls and they're all just like, you know, they got scarves and they're like, you know, like doing the my oh my day, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I always like that song. It's a good, you know, it's a power ballad. It's a good song. But Quiet Riot would release another Slade song that, that year. It was, uh, they released Mama, We're All Crazy Now. Okay, so I never understood why Quiet Riot had to do two Slade songs, but I guess it's good for the band. That's what worked for them. I guess. What do you think, Ron? You like those two versions of Slade or no? No, I'm not a fan. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the songs are so great that it's hard to mess them up. They're not, but, yeah, I mean, they're, uh, right. I mean, if you do it pretty much like Slade would do it, when they did, they kind of did. They threw in a few more leads and stuff, yeah, in the solos and stuff. But you know, it was it was. I mean, I do like that. I do like the, those two songs when I hear it, but I don't go out of my way to listen to it. But now Slade needed to release a new album in America, so the Amazing Kamikaze syndrome got reworked with a few different tracks added and a new album cover. It was also renamed called "Keep Your Hands Off My Power Supply." And it would get to number 33 in the U.S. and number 25 in Canada. The single Slam the Hammer Down would make it to number 92 on Billboard. It was those three singles, My Oh My, Run Run Away, and Slam the Hammer. Um, sadly, a tour with Ozzy Osbourne would have to be canceled because Jim Lee got ill. He got diagnosed with hepatitis C, and he collapsed after a warm-up gig opening for Ozzy one time and uh, the band would return to the UK and not tour again kind of due to differences within the band and personal problems Holder was having he was going through a a messy divorce Um, in mid 84 Slade's Greats was released uh, Greatest Heads and a full European tour was planned but it was planned without their approval and Holder cancelled the whole thing because he found out they were like selling tickets already and he hadn't committed at all. Even the band really hadn't committed. Okay. And somebody was selling tickets and they, you know, he squashed the whole thing. Uh, and he was pissed off because he was going through this divorce and, and also no one even like came to him about this tour. Okay. So in late 84, a new power ballad single similar to my, oh my, my, oh my was released. It's called all joint hands. And it was released only in the UK. It got to number 15. Do you remember this one, Ron? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I, again. Um, Not listening to it, right? Uh, it was okay. But, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm, it wasn't as good as I think My Oh My was a better song. And I'll agree with so that. Was, I'll agree yeah. with that. It sounded, it sounded the same anyway. It was very similar. Um, in 85, they released three singles. One called Seven Year Bitch. One song called Mysterious Mr. Jones and then Little Sheila. Okay. They were they only got like some moderate European success. But Little Sheila was released in America and it got to number eighty six on Billboard. There was a video with that, I believe. 
And uh, it did well in Canada and Germany, where it got to number 50. Later in 85, a new album called Rogue's Gallery was released. And it's kind of like a keyboard-oriented album. Um, it's really very you know, produced, very polished sounding. And Lee actually plays most of the instruments on the album. It didn't make a splash anywhere except in Norway, where it got to number five. You ever hear this album? I've not heard it. I, I think in 1985, um, the Smiths just didn't leave my turntable. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the time for the Smiths. Yeah, the I Smiths never, were good. I never heard anything off this album until today. Okay. And I listened to it, uh, a couple of songs, and definitely was not impressed, I have to say. Okay, so clunker on that one. Um in November of 85, a party album called Crackers, The Christmas Party came out. It got to number 34. And then they re-released Merry Christmas, Everybody again. And that would get to number 48 in the UK. So for the next, you know, that, that's, the, that's the, the main crux of the band right there by November of 85. Because for the next 35 years, the band would reappear every so often with some new singles. Uh, sometimes they would do reworkings even of old songs. And you, you, I don't know if you're aware of this, Ron, but like they've released some of their old songs almost as house music. No, no I didn't. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, it's interesting. I Not my thing, but like, you know, in, in some of the, the you know, the, the clubs and stuff, you could get like these remixes of Slade songs done like dance music. <laughs> I, I don't get it. But all right, it makes them some money, I guess. And 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 Jim Lee, he wanted to produce uh, and do kind of studio work, which he still does. Naughty Holder pretty much hung it up by 1990 with any real performing. Uh, Slade 2 is interesting. Um, it would be started by Hill and Powell, and it would feature different musicians. They had a different singer. Uh, Naughty Holder actually kind of gave them their blessing he named them Slade 2 but uh, Lee was, wasn't happy about it at all he didn't want anything to do with that band um, they would record one album in 1997 that bombed okay uh, the original Slade did reunite though for two events in 1996 one was the funeral for Chaz Chandler and one was for an episode of the TV show This Is Your Life which featured Naughty Holder as the subject. I've actually seen that episode. Ron, do you recall that? Um, I think I've probably seen it on YouTube as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, he's like sitting there and they're going over like different things of his life and then the band yeah. comes out and they, they, they end up playing. Um, uh, I was going to say is, is, is many compilations and, and greatest hits, the anthology records have come out over the years. Uh, in 99, the BBC did a thorough documentary on the band called It's Slade, and it featured kind of contemporary artists at the time, like Noel Gallagher from Oasis, praising the band. Um, in 2002, Slade 2 would change their name back to Slade and record and release some new material. Um, I'm surprised they didn't get sued. Okay, I, I don't think there was ever a lawsuit or anything like that. But in the past, when bands have done this, you know, members, it usually ends up in a lawsuit. In, in, in late 2006, UK chart rules would change and it would allow downloads of old singles to chart 
And every year since then, Merry Christmas, everybody hits the top 75. Did you know that, Ron? I know it's been hit about 15 times. Yeah, it, it's, actually hit, it's actually hit the top 20 once or twice in those years. Yeah. You know, um, Powell in 2013 wrote a book called Look What I Done, My Life in Slade. An excellent book. Um, it was kind of based on journals that he wrote after his accident. Okay. Because of his short term memory loss, he writes everything down. Okay. And he documented, you know, the whole time pretty much. Um, Noddy Holder wrote a good book too in 1999 that I have. It's called uh, Who's Crazy Now? And that's a story of his life, like from when he was a kid until, you know, 1990. And uh, that's a good read. You ever read that, Ron? No, I haven't. No, yeah, but uh, I have to look, look yeah. out for it. Yeah. So that's all I got today. What's, what, what's really interesting, Mike, is that, you know, the band stopped playing, what, in about 84 was the last time they, they yeah, toured 85, together? Yeah, 85. 85. And, and Noddy was about, about, what, 38 then? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, um, I don't even think he was 40 yet. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So he ba- ba- basically uh, he, he stopped playing live before he was 40. And the band broke up in what, ni- ni- 1990 when he was probably maybe 43, 44. 44, maybe, yeah. He retired from music, basically from the music business at 44, which is, which is quite amazing when you, when you think that, you know, people just seem to go on forever now. Yeah. Well, you know, um, People do go on forever. They go on too long sometimes. Okay. Yeah, you know, they, then it starts like uh, eating away at the legacy. Like we've we've brought it up a couple of times. Like, well, you know, what would it have been like if like Jim Morrison had lived? Okay, do you think he the Doors would still be a band, or would it, what do you think, Ron? Uh, you know what? I was like, he he died before I got into music, and uh, I um uh, I I wouldn't know because you know uh, I I just wasn't around. I didn't get that yeah. feeling at the time. No, I'm just saying, like, in, you know, just yeah. like if you could, if you could just imagine, I mean, a band like a guy like Jim Morrison or even Jimi Hendrix, had they lived, what kind of music would they have been making in into their 40s, if at all? Yeah, you, you, you'd assume that Hendrix would have taken advantage of all the studio advances, which you know, he didn't really see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, imagine something in the 1980s with Jimi Hendrix in it. Yeah. Or, or even a couple of years later yeah. with the 16 track. Yeah. True, true. Yeah, 72, something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. So uh, what do you say, Rob? Guys, another excellent job, man. Thank you, Ron, for the info and the input. And seeing Slate when they were out there, um, you know, you were very knowledgeable. You brought a lot of things to the table. And you know how Mike, Mike talks about everything. He knows a lot of information also. Um, yeah, it, it's a good show. Thank you. I really thought I really thought that you know what Slater guy guys that they had like six number one and guys that had multiple multiple hits on the chart. They were probably one of the most um, best um, British glam bands that that you had glam rock bands. Yeah, yeah I mean, they, 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 I was going to say they were just most, gigantic. Seventy-two, seventy-three. What did you say, Ron? I'm sorry. They were just they were just so popular. In seventy two and seventy three, I mean, just amazingly popular. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if. Uh, do you th- did they outsell T Rex? Um, what do you think? I don't think they did worldwide, but I think they did in the UK in the end. In the end, um, it, it, Slade actually didn't have too many 
huge hits around Europe, I don't believe. But you know, and, Slate, you know how many albums um, Slate sold? 50 million albums 50, worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. So probably so probably very similar to T Rex there. Um uh but uh, yeah, um amazingly popular Slade were. Yeah. You know, uh I mean they, they T Rex were the most popular band in the UK in seventy one and um in the first half of seventy two and then Slade was the most popular band, second half of seventy two, I think, and all throughout seventy three. Right, right. Now Slade was the second part of our glam trifecta that we're doing here on the rock show. Yeah. Last week was sweet. This week was Slade and next week we got Gary Glitter. And that's that should be, be good. Glad that's gonna be a good one. That should be interesting. Yep. So, <laughs> so to you guys, like we always say at the end of the show, don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. Get lumped, lumped up. up. Have a good one, guys. See you next week. Thanks again, Rob. Good night. Good night. Bye. Bye.